Now we're going to read from God's word. And tonight we're reading in Genesis 11, verses 10 through 32. Genesis 11, 10 through 32. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxad two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxad lived 35 years and begot Salah. After he begot Salah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begot Serug. After he begot Serug, Ru lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've come to a point in the book of Genesis where things shift, and the focus as we continue in Genesis, it narrows, and it narrows from looking at all of the world, all of humanity, all the nations, to looking at one nation, to one people, to the line of one family. And for the remaining 80%, the remaining 40 chapters in the book of Genesis, and, and really for the next four books of the Pentateuch, the Bible focuses on the line of one man and the one nation that emerges from him. Now, just some background for tonight's passage. We're, we're examining a genealogy tonight. And this genealogy is a continuation from a, of a genealogy that was begun a few chapters earlier in Genesis 5. This genealogy here in Genesis 11 is continuing the one in Genesis 5. Genesis 5 started at the beginning of humanity and gives a genealogy uh, starting at Adam 
and there the text traced in Genesis 5, 10 generations from Adam down to Noah, 10 generations. Then here in chapter 12, the genealogy resumes, starting from Noah and his son Shem, and it goes 10 more generations from Noah down to Abram. And so two things that you should notice when you compare the first 10 generations from Adam down to Noah, and when you compare that to the next 10 generations from Noah down to Abram. In the first 10 generations, Adam to Noah, in the first 10 generations, the lifespans are very long. Several of the, of the, of the, the men listed there, they're 900 years old in many cases. But then in the next 10 generations from Noah down to Abram, it's after the flood in Noah's day, the, the lifespans, they rapidly start to shrink. And instead of living for nearly 900 years, people now live up to 200 years by the time we get to Abram. And so that's the first thing to notice. The lifespans are, are shrinking, and, and they're coming down closer and closer to what earlier in Genesis, God says he's going to limit their, their lifespan to, to 120 years, and then closer to what we have today, what the Psalms talk about, 70 years, if by reason of strength, 80 years. So the, 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 whatever's going on with how do they live for 900 years, it's now, it's now shrinking and coming closer to what we now experience and, and have familiarity with. The other thing to notice, though, you also see here in these next genera- 10 generations, after the flood, people are having their children earlier. And as a result, where in the first genealogy that, that covered those first 10 generations, that text from, from Adam to Noah, if you were just to add up the numbers that are presented in the text, that text, those first 10 generations in Genesis 5, that spanned about 1,600 years. 1,600 years. But in this next genealogy, because people are having their children earlier, this next 10 gener- generations from, from Noah down to Abram, it only spans 292 years. So the, the first, if you were if you're to count backwards from where we are today in 2025, 2023, some of us are in 2023, the, um, that first 10 generations would span going all the way back to like 400 BC, like pre-medieval um, times. But then this next genera- gen- genealogy, the 10 generations, it only goes back about 300 years. That would be taking us back only to you know the the 1700s, the you know just after the colonization of America. So 1600 years versus 300 years here, and as a result, if you do the math, it appears that Noah, that one man Noah, he lived through the flood. He also lived through the division of all of the languages at the Tower of Babel, and not only that, it appears that Noah is alive when Abram is born. And in fact, if you do the math and and we understand rightly what's given, after Abram's birth, Noah lived another 58 years. And he was 10 generations back from Abram. Now, we don't know if if Noah ever met Abram on earth, but Noah is the eight-time great-grandfather to Abram. And they were both walking the earth at the same time, apparently, Abram is, is born. Uh, we, we now start entering into a place where it's, it's much easier to, to put, map things into our, our, um, our calendar dating, our year dating. Abram is born somewhere 
around 2000 BC. Now, if you've got familiarity with the Bible, you know that this man, Abram, who's later named Abraham, you know that this man, Abram, and his family, they hold great importance in God's plans to bless the whole world. And and that's part of why Genesis starts to funnel down and to focus on this one man and his family. But here at the very beginning of Abram's life, as he's introduced to us, we don't see great promise. Instead of great promise, what we see here is a picture of a very high uncertainty. Instead of, when you look at Abram at the beginning and how he's presented, instead of great hopes, we see the reverse. We see dashed expectations. And so, Three things that we're going to look at from our text tonight. First of all, we're going to look at our, our high hopes and expectations. Our high hopes and expectations. And then secondly, we'll look at the death of our hopes and expectations. The death of our hopes and expectations. And then thirdly, we'll close with where to find hope. So our high hopes and expectations, the death of our high hopes and expectations, and where we can find hope. So let's start with our high hopes and expectations. Verses, verses 10 through 26, the text lists nine generations between Noah and Abram. Nine generations. And with every generation, there's a pattern that holds fast. And unlike Genesis 5, where there were a few little asides and detours, there's no deviation from this. And, and this momentum starts to develop. There are, there, there, you've got verse 10, Shem, the son of Noah, Shem begot Arphaxad, and then verse 11, and Shem begot sons and daughters. And then Arphaxad, what about him? Verse 12, Arphaxad begot Salah, and then verse 13, Arphaxad begot sons and daughters. And what about Salad? Verse 14, Salad begot Eber, and then verse 15, Salah begot sons and daughters. And so for all nine generations, without any deviation, the person gets married, the person has a son. The person has sons and daughters. And by the end, when you, when you come down to Abram, there's, there's this unspoken assumption that, well, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is what happened for all the nine generations before him. He's going to get married. You're going to get married. You're going to have a son. You're going to have children. And by the time you get to this generation before Abram, in verse 24, you've got Nahor, Nahor has the son Terah. That, that's, Terah is the father of Abram. In verse 25, Nahor has sons and daughters. And so we're all set. And when you get to Abram, you've got the same expectations and hopes. And so this is what, the, this is what you would be saying. This is what others would be saying. You'd be saying, of course. Of course, in this family, in this family, Abram, he's going to get married. And of course, in this family, Abram is going to have a son. He's going to get married, he's going to have a son, and, and he's going to have sons and daughters. He's going to have children, he'll have a family. Of course he will. It's, it's been this way for the past nine generations. So of course that, he's got to do that, and that's going to have to happen to him. It's always been done this way. Of course he's going to marry, and he's going to continue the family line. It's just, it's always been this way, and it's been going on ten times. Now, perhaps that was the expectation of the extended family. Perhaps this was the expectation that Abram had for himself. Maybe he was thinking, well, here I am. All of my fathers before me, they got married, so I'm sure I'll find someone and I'll get married. And, and all of my fathers had sons and daughters, so I'm sure that that's how it's going to play out for me. I also 
will get married and I'll have children of my own. I'll have a family. It was their expectation for him. And maybe it was also his expectation for himself. Maybe it was his, his hope in life as well. Now, how about, how about for you? How about for you tonight? Do you have expectations about what your role in life will be, must be? Do you have expectations that are based on your family, the family you grew up in, and, and the family that you descended from? Have you set hopes on where you'll be, what you'll be doing, based on what others before you had, based on what others before you did? And it could, be, it could be academic expectations. It could be career expectations. Sometimes there are, there are these family expectations. You've got to get married because that's just the way it, it will be. Maybe it's church expectations. The church in which you grew up and, and whatever you saw before you, the people who, who brought you here or, or came before you, and, and there's all this, this thinking in your head or maybe about you, outside around you. Well, my father was in business, so I guess I, I will be in business. I'm, I need to go into business. Or my mother had this kind of degree, so I, I guess I, I need to get a degree if, if things are to be the way they should be. Or my, my parents had, had four children, so I, I guess I, I need to grow up, get married, and I need to have children of my own. But we put, we put other expectations on ourselves, not just only these kind of external, circumstantial, situational expectations. We put other kinds of expectations. The kind of expectation where we're thinking to ourselves, for, what, for whatever reason, I need to be the one. I need to be the one who, who holds things together in, in this family or in these kinds of groups. I, I need to be the one who will be the, the encourager. Or I'll be the one, I need to be the one who, who's always there and always volunteers and is, is leading the way of serving or, or, or putting in the time. My family is the kind that will take responsibility. So I have to take responsibility. I've got to take up some kind of leadership wherever I go. Whatever, those, those kind of expectations that we put on ourselves or that other people put on us. It can also be like this. My parents stayed together. And so, of course... Of course, my marriage, my marriage will hold together. Or my parents had kids who all turned out. All of my parents' kids turned out. So of course, my kids, well, certainly they'll, they'll turn out. It has to be that way, right? All of this is understandable. And for many people, it's because the opportunities that the parents had, they become the opportunities that they can pass on and, and, and share with their children. And, and if your parents were, let's say, let's say your parents were, were middle class, well, they likely positioned you to be able to access the doors of middle class opportunities. And the character, the character of your parents, it's, it's often developed and passed down in how they raised you and, and, and what they passed down to their sons and daughters. But there's, there's one particular one particular generational hope and expectation that's embedded in this chapter. And that, that hope and that expectation is, is the hope and expectation that there would be God's blessing on this man and on his family. That down through the generations, the favor and the blessing of God would come down to the next generation. 
In the very next chapter, you see this start to, to, to open up, and, and it, it's just very much a theme in the book of Genesis. The very next chapter, though, Genesis 12, to this one man, Abram, God promises unparalleled blessing to him and to every generation that will descend from him. And this is this huge theme in Genesis and really in the rest of the Bible, even through the New Testament. As it all unfolds, attached to this one man, Abram, the Lord enters into a covenant and the Lord promises to Abram and to all of his descendants. Genesis 17, as for me, the Lord is speaking, behold, my covenant is with you, Abram, and you shall be a father of many nations, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. In Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so you hear the kind of hope and the kind of expectation that's all being charged up in, in Abram. That the hope that he would have many children, the hope that he would have a family and it would be blessed by God, and that he would have the blessing of God for himself and for all the generations that come. God's making a promise to people who haven't been born, to people who haven't done anything, who haven't proven anything about themselves. And, and not only that, the promise is given here and the expectation is Abram and his line will bless all of the families of the earth. He was, he was, he was promised. There's all this hope that through the life of Abram, he's, he's going to be a source of good and benefit for every person on the planet one day. And so with Abram's family history and with the Lord's covenant promise, Abram has high hopes and high expectations for his future. And so he must be thinking, and, 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 and this will continue, I will grow up, life's going to go as planned, and the Lord's going to bless me. And what does any of this have to do with you? If you're a believer and, and you're familiar with the the Abrahamic promise, you know that in the gospel it says Abram believed the gospel and you know that because of the gospel you have become a descendant of Abram. And the promise and the blessing and the covenant with Abraham, well, that's your blessing, your promise. And so you rightly, you rightly as a believer have some of these hopes for your own blessing, for, for the favor of God upon you, for the favor of God upon your children, and that God will do something good in you for the whole world. Now, at this point, you might expect the, the account given here to continue on this, this path of blessing that just keeps getting better and better and better, and, and things get easier. And it gets more clear that, oh, I, God's blessing is working out. But that's not what happens. We see here the second thing, the death of our hopes and expectations. Verses 27 through 32 we see two deaths, we see infertility, and we see a displacement. In the life and the family of Abram, this person on whom there was so much hope, and, and even within himself, he had so many expectations. We see the death of those hopes. We see the death of those expectations. Look at these, these significant deaths. The first death is this. Abram 
has brothers and sisters. That, that's what it said. His, his father, Terah, had sons and daughters. Abram's got two brothers, Nahor and Haran. And Abram's brother named Haran dies early. And, and Haran leaves children behind. Verse 28, the brother Haran, it says die, he dies before his father. And he leaves behind a son, Lot, and he leaves behind a daughter, Milcah. Death visits Abram's family early. The father has to bury his own son. And so it seems that the grandfather, Terah, Abram's father, Terah has to care for his orphaned grandchildren. And and not only does Abram's family suffer significant death, early death, Abram's marriage suffers. Abram's marriage suffers infertility. And it's just, it's so blunt here. Verse 30, but Sarai was barren. She had no child. And for, for all of you who have wanted children, waited for children, you know, you know the depths of pain. And, and you even know that, that misplaced feeling of shame in those few words. She could not have children. She had no children. And, and this, this blunt declaration of infertility the context of it is, is one that's set with so much hope, so much pressure, so much expectation that there would be children. Every father and every grandfather of Abram, stretching nine generations to Noah, they all married and had sons and daughters. And whether the people around Abram and Sarai, whether they were kind and, and supportive towards them, or whether Abram and Sarai had to, had to field all kinds of insensitive and all kinds of hurtful comments, we just don't know. One commentary says, though, this is, how it, this is how it had to have hit them. Failure to produce an heir was a major calamity for a family in the ancient world because it meant a disruption in the generational inheritance pattern and it left no one to care for the couple in their old age. And so this, was a, this is for them? This is a dashed hope. And it introduced shame. It introduced insecurity about their future it would introduce fear for them. And it would, be, it would be in some ways like a loss of identity. After I die, after, after I die, I'm going to be forgotten. There will be no one to carry on my name. There will be no one to remember me. And for some people even today, singleness, it, it's got the same kinds of echoes of, of this misplaced shame, this misplaced sense of failure. Somehow I've, I've failed because I'm not married. Somehow I've failed because I, I, we can't have kids. And, and it's introduced this fear about the future. And, and for some people, being divorced, it's the same sort of thing. You, you, you feel like, I've, I've let everyone down. I've let everyone down who had such high expectations for me, for our marriage, for our family. And, and now I'm afraid. I'm afraid for a future where maybe I'm going to die alone. And, and for some people, they want to be married. And, and to not have a husband, not to have this wife, it's the death of so many hopes for them. It's the death of so many dreams. But then there's more for, for Abram and Sarai here. It says they leave their land. They move to another country. Verse 31, Terah. This is Abram's father, the, the patriarch. Terah, verse 31, took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and and his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them 
from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And so Terah, he takes his, his surviving family. He does it after his adult son has died. And he says, we're leaving. We're leaving this place. We're moving the family clan. We are going to a country that is far away. We're going to Canaan. Geographically, he's moving from somewhere, maybe in, in northern, what today is northern Iraq or southern Iraq, and he's moving to what might be more, more uh, central Turkey, um, um, southern border of Turkey. Uh, and, and by way of that, then heading south into what today is Israel. But he says, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're picking up and moving. And we don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Maybe it's because there was an economic downturn in Ur. Uh, maybe they lacked opportunity. But maybe for them, Ur, that place in, of the Chaldeans, maybe that represented just too much pain. His oldest son, his, his son, his adult son died there. Maybe Ur, that place, represented just too many heartbreaks, too many melancholy memories. But Tara takes them all, all the way across Ur, and instead of going over and continuing down, they just stop. They stop in Haran. That's located in today's Turkey. And that's where a second death occurs in, in Abram and uh, his family. Abram's brother has died early. Verse 32, there in Haran, Abram's father dies. So here's Abram. He's surrounded by death. He is now resettled in a foreign country. And, and the strange thing is it's not where they were planning to go to. Terah wanted to end up down in Canaan. And so they, they head out with, with his father, Terah, saying, we're going to Canaan. And what did Canaan represent for them, for Abram? Up to this point in history, if you, if you remember what we've, we've read so far in the scriptures, Canaan represented that, that grandson of, of Noah whom Noah cursed. Now, what, what kind of... What would have been going on in Terah's mind? What kind of despair, what kind of necessity would drive him to move and to live among a cursed people? And this, would, this would have been the end of the line for Abram. He and his wife, just they could not have any kids. And so maybe this is your, your today. This is where you are. You had dreams, and in your earlier years, Everyone has set so many expectations about how you would turn out. But today, you're scared. You're scared about where your kids are headed. Your marriage isn't what you thought it would be. Or you're not even married and you've got no prospects in sight. And your place in this world, it feels so insecure. It feels like you're never going to make it. And even in terms of his faith, for Abram, things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse for this couple. Abram and Sarai, they're going to go through several significant periods of doubt and several significant times of unbelief in the Lord. And in their marriage, it's just, it's very, it's, it's awkward, it's messy, it's painful. They, they willingly introduce into their marriage another woman. And, and a child is born by that woman. And, and then they cast out that child. And, and Abram has these other times when he's cowardly and he's deceptive about his wife because he's, he's just afraid. Now, what kind of, you live through that. You, you, you're set up like this and you, and you go through all that. What kind of reputation would that give you? What kind of reputation would that give you in, in the church? 
Who's going to know? Who's going to know about your sins and all your screw-ups? Well, for him, for Sarai, everyone's going to know about it. Anybody who reads the Bible is going to know about this. And so Abram and Sarai, they've got so much riding on their shoulders. And here at the beginning, it already looks lost. Like, you could call the game. It's the seventh inning, and you, just, you, don't even, you can go home because you can tell how this is going to play out. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you're, you're in the middle of everything melting down. And the story is about it. It's, it's already starting to spread. And you're just waiting for the, the next blow to fall, and it's going to be the final fatal blow. And you've lost hope. Well, let's turn now to where to find hope. And if you're looking at just this text, it's, there's not really anything here that has hope. You've got to go a little bit further. But for some of us, it might feel like the play has entered, this, this final act. And you haven't seen it, but you're certain. You've seen enough of these before that you're certain you know how the script is going to end. You're, and you're sure this play is a tragedy. And this is not just for adults. This is not just for people who are in the age of, of marrying or, or childbearing. This applies to you kids. Do any of you kids, do, do, do any of you worry about the future? Do you get scared about mom or dad's job? And you hear things, they're talking about it, and you don't know exactly, but you're, you're nervous. Or do, do any of you kids get scared about your parents' marriage or about mom and dad's health? And you wonder, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to me? And, and what will my friends think about me? And so whatever their situation you're in, it, is, is the legal case that's being piled up against you, it, does it feel like it's just too strong? Or the, the financial bills that you're facing, it just, they seem too, too heavy to ever be lifted. Or, or maybe it's just the mental health of your parents, and that feels like it's going to be one of those things that gets passed down to you the way it was passed down to them. And, and for some of you, you're scared, you're certain the future is bleak, and you feel like life is just collapsing all around you, and all you've got are the broken pieces of it in your hands. Well, sometimes God brings us to trouble that we never expected. And the psalm says, my times are in your hands. And so in this text and over and over in the scriptures, God challenges you to trust him. God especially challenges you to trust him in those times, in those circumstances, when all you have are broken pieces and you have no idea how it could ever be put to, back together. And he, he dares you to hope that he can make all things whole. That, that this will play out maybe over decades, the way it's going to play out over decades in the lives of Abram and Sarai. And the Lord here is challenging you to trust him when your mind, when reason itself tells you you might as well just pack it up, turn off the lights, and shut the door. This is over. That's how it looked to Abram in Haran. But I want you to see what the Bible reveals a little bit later. I want you to see how Abram trusted God and how Abram, and though he struggled, he waited. He waited for God. Hebrews 11, verse 8 says, By faith, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place 
which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so you see how he, he trusted God. He, he had to wait for God, even when nothing looked like God was still there. And, and see how there was something for Abram and Sarai that was just dead, dead, but God brought it to life. Hebrews 11 continues, verse, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him, the Lord, faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him, good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. And if you know your Bible, you know their story. It would, it would not be until Abraham was 100 years old that this promised son would finally come. Abraham's body's reproductive system had long since died, and Sarai would be 90 years old when she conceived. The promise of a covenant, of a blessing, had to be playing in those those, 90, what, those decades and decades of waiting, they had to keep hearing, playing in their ears, their whole lives, this promise for which they had nothing to show. Nothing to show for it, except just the words. The words of God's promise. And this may be where you are today. You've got no sign, no sign that the blessing is ever going to appear for you. All you've got are words on the page of your Bible. And you have to ask yourself the same thing that Abram and Sarah had to ask themselves over decades and decades and decades of waiting on the Lord. Can death, can death derail the blessing and the promise of God? And can time, decades of time, derail the blessing and the promise of God? And you've got to ask, can sin derail the blessing, and the promise of God. Because if you believe, if you believe, God has made promises to you, promises for good, promises that you must believe no matter how sure you are about being able to call this game. You must hope in God even if he makes you wait for decades. What has God promised you? What has God promised you? If you're a believer, Jeremiah 29:11, "For I know the thoughts that I think toward you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I'll bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. 
Do you hear what he promises? Even if you sin, even if you do some major foolishness, if you will seek him, he will bring you back. And if your world today is broken, maybe someone else broke your world today, and if you today, if you feel broken, and you can't see how God could bring his blessing and his good to you in a lasting way, in a way that matters, you've got to hold on to what God has promised you. Let me read a longer but a familiar passage. Romans 8, starting at verse 31. Whatever you're facing, what shall we say? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know those promises. You know you've come back to these words. You perhaps are clinging to these words. As we finish I want to point out that this text that we've read, it contains, you could call it, maybe you could call it ancient irony. Earlier in this chapter, last week we looked at this, it said that peoples of the world felt very insecure and they feared for their future. So they thought, we're going to make ourselves a name. And that, that, that phrase when it says, we will make for ourselves a name. Name, in Hebrew, is the word Shem. And so, to make a name, Shem, for themselves, they built this tall tower to to gain a future and to gain security and a name. In this passage that we've read, we've learned, and I think this is some of the irony, we learned that the name Shem, that's going to remove their fear of the future, it's not this tower. We're given just this genealogy, the genealogy of Shem, son of Noah, but but it's not Shem. And, And here's more of the irony, it's not Shem, the same word in Hebrew, which is the name. The true Shem, the true name, will, will secure, which will secure their future and, and put their fears to rest. It's just a few verses later. and you, could, you can skip just a few more verses from what we read, Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name, Shem, great. And you shall be a blessing. They, they sought this, 
this security and this name and this tower. And he says, no, no, it's, it's through the line of Shem. I'm going to make your name. You're going to find the Shem that you were looking for. And then, and then this is where it, it turns from this ancient irony to a New Testament irony. The blessing of God comes through this name, but it's not Abram. It's not Abram. It's the ultimate son of Abram, Jesus, whose name means Savior. 2,000 years later, Jesus, who is descended from Noah and Shem and Abram, 2,000 years later, the son of Abram would be Jesus. And in this name, every promise of God is fulfilled to those who believe in him. And in this name, every sin will be removed, death will be made powerless and sinners will turn to God. And in this name, even death will not stop the love of God from becoming the good blessing of God in your life. In the gospel, Jesus is the one who left his homeland and went to a foreign land to come and to find you. And in the gospel, Jesus is the son who died in a foreign land in order to bring you into his heavenly home. And Jesus, in his earthly life, Jesus died childless so that he could bring many sons to glory. His death couldn't separate you from the love of God. His death and his resurrection seal you to the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, we have come into these, these things that are deep and we, can, we, can, we, can bear, we can't even fit these thousands of years into our heads, but we do see that you work your promises and you're good to your word. And the promise of good and blessing that you made to Abram and indirectly to the world through him, it has been fulfilled in the son of Abram, Jesus Christ. He's our name. He's the name on which we find our future and, and our hopes and expectations are realized. And so we come to you, we thank you, and we pray, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen us and, and keep our hope from failing, our hope in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.